peace is our hot word for today. Peace is our topic. Uh, you know, for many of us, I think this is true Many for many of us, if, if we were to play around with that word peace a bit and use the letters of that word peace to describe how we think about or even go about trying to get peace in our daily routine lives, we could probably put it this way, peace, pretty efficient at creating entertainment. Because really, if we think about it, that's how in our daily lives, many of us try to find some peace or some peace of mind. We try to bury ourselves in some form of entertainment. Do we not? Whether it's uh, watching YouTube videos or getting buried in a movie for a couple of hours or TikTok or some other social media thing that you're doing. (laughs) Or perhaps it's uh, your favorite fishing spot. Maybe it's not necessarily an electronic entertainment. Or perhaps it's out on the golf course for nine holes. We're looking for peace. Or perhaps it's at that coffee shop with our friends for a couple of hours. You know, we look for something. We look for anything that's going to distract us from whatever it is that's pressing on us, whatever at the moment, whatever it is that's troubling us, whatever it is that's kind of overwhelming us perhaps at the moment that we are not able to deal very well with. But in contrast to this Uh, these momentary escapes that we call peace, Psalm 46 puts something else right in front of us. So I'd like to read Psalm 46, and would you follow along with me? It's not a very long uh, psalm, 11 verses. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help. In trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars Cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. You know, in contrast again to all our momentary escapes that we call peace, Psalm 46 puts 
this morning puts right in front of us, right in front of our faces, the fact that God is our source of lasting, true peace, security, and stability. He is that source for us. Now, Psalm 46, you might have noticed as I was reading it, kind of looks like or feels has the feel of a song, and that's because it is a song. Um, now, we're not Hebrew people, so we're not going to sing the Hebrew from Psalm 46. I wouldn't have any idea how to do that. But I want to point out to you structurally, that's what we're talking about here. This is the form of literature. It's a song. And it's, it's actually very similar to a hymn that we might pull out from our own hymn book. Um, so this, if we think of it in terms of a hymn, this psalm has three verses, like what we might find in our hymn book, and a chorus, or a refrain. The chorus you might have picked up is, the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Um, and that's what we're dealing with here. So think of this in terms of a song. This was a song celebrated in worship in ancient Israel, celebrating who God is. That's the source of peace and stability. But what strikes me so much here is that as, as far as this psalm goes, there's no easing into what it's talking about. It's, there's no easing into what it's saying to us here. The first section of the psalm boldly and confidently declares that God is the source of peace and security And that peace and security goes far deeper than a couple of distracting hours in a movie. Psalm 46, verses 1 to 3 are that first verse of, I know it's confusing when you use the term verse, they're the first section of the psalm here, beginning with God is our what? Our refuge. What is a refuge? A refuge is a shelter. It's a place of protection where, that we run to to get protection from the storm that's raging around us. Last weekend, my son Ethan and I went camping for one night. And about 3 o'clock in the morning, it started to rain. And we were very glad, I was very glad, that he had erected this tarp, tarpaulin shelter for us. We had a refuge from the rain that kept us. God, the psalmist says, is our refuge. He's our protection. But he's more than that. God is our refuge and our strength. The strength here refers to the fact that God is our, he's our internal power supply. He gives us what we need to deal with whatever is happening in the moment. So he's our protection, our shield, and he's our power source. And those two things are really kind of summarized in the next bit of poetry, the next bit of imagery where it says, he is a very present help in trouble. A very present help in trouble. I love this phrase um, because it's so true of who who God is. It could literally be translated, more literally, I should say, that God is an abundant source of help ready at hand when trouble faces us. 
Let me say that again. He is an abundant source of help, ready at hand when trouble faces us. So with God as our protection, with God as our, our source of strength and power supply, with, with God as the very present help when trouble comes, the psalmist says, we won't be afraid. We will not fear. Though everything around us collapses in utter chaos and utter confusion, utter out-of-controlness, if you want to put it that way. That's what verses 2 and 3, the, the, the imagery that we get. Remember, this is poetry, a song. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Can you think of anything more frightening than an earthquake? Some of you have probably been in some earthquakes. I've been in one. When everything, you know, what you take for granted, the, the solidness, the stability of the ground, suddenly becomes completely unstable. And it just, it's terrifying because it makes everything seem like nothing is normal <laughs> anymore and you have no idea what's going to happen. Therefore, the psalmist says, we won't be afraid, though all that happens. And then verse 3, though its waters roar, the sea, the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, landslides, tsunamis, flooding, chaos, destruction, and the bold declaration that comes to us from Psalm 46, verses 1 to 3 is, we will not be afraid, despite all of that. Where does that confidence, where does that boldness come from? I mean, is, is that just wishful thinking? Is that simply, is there, is there something of substance behind this hope, behind this confidence? I'm going to submit to you that there is. It's one thing for someone like, like a soldier in battle to simply kind of resign himself to, the, to his demise in bravery. And that's to be, that's an honorable thing. But recognizing there's nothing I can do, so I'm just going to face my death or my destruction bravely. That's honorable, and that's good to be commended, but that's not what we're talking about here. It's another thing to say what Psalm 46 says, which is almost literally, there's nothing to be afraid of. Though everything around you collapses in utter confusion, in utter out-of-controlness, there's nothing to be afraid of. Where does that come from? Is there something of substance behind that confident assertion? Well, the next section of the psalm gives us the answer to this radical boldness. We need to, first of all, understand that between verses 3 and 4, Verses in the Bible, not verses in your hymn book. <laughs> Between verses 3 and 4, there is a dramatic shift in the scenery and a dramatic shift in the imagery uh, that's given to us. Suddenly, what happens there is that the tumult and the, the raging of the first section of this psalm fades away into the background and gives way to a new scene. And what fades into focus in the new scene is a river. So verse 4 says, there is a river. 
whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. The river, uh, I studied this pretty closely in the original Hebrew language because it's really fascinating to me. Um, It's just, our English translation here says, there is a river. But it's just one word in Hebrew, river. And it's hard to get the sense of that through the English translation, but I believe what the writer, remember this is a song, and this is, I believe what the writer was trying to communicate here was sort of a dramatization. And thinking of it almost like this, comparing it with the, you know, the tumult and the craziness and the utter confusion and collapse of what we had just seen in the previous verses, that fades. And suddenly what comes before you is this peaceful river. And so what the psalmist sees and what he communicates is more like, ah, a river. I think that's kind of the sense uh, of what's being communicated here. There's a peace. And along with the river, there's a city. But it's not just any city. It's the city of God. This river, the streams of the river flow into the city of God. And of course, those of you that know your Bible well will understand that this is a reference to the city of Jerusalem. And specifically, it is a reference to what you might call the core part of the city of Jerusalem, which is sometimes called Zion or Mount Zion, which was actually a little, a little elevated hill or little elevated area within the city of Jerusalem at this time when the psalmist was writing. And it was on that elevated hill called Zion where the temple of God was located. It had been built by King Solomon, was placed there. God's temple. And the streams, it says in this verse, the river whose streams, what do they do? They make glad the city of God. In other words, they bring perfect satisfaction to the God's people. They bring, bring perfect joy and perfect satisfaction to the people of the city. They supply all that's needed to the city. It's interesting to me that um, Jerusalem, though it is a major world city, and many major world cities have major rivers that flow through them, in reality, Jerusalem does not have a major river that runs through it. It has what we might, it might call really just a stream or a brook or a creek, if you want to put it that way. Um, that's it. It's a very peaceful, slow-moving quiet stream that moves through the city of Jerusalem. But yet, it says, the streams of this little stream make glad the city of God. They supply everything that is needed. Of course, you you get the sense of this. This is imagery. And what that's trying to convey to us, I believe, is that this river is God supplying everything that's needed in contrast to the raging of the sea that we just saw in the section before it. And yet the peacefulness of the river and its tiny branches supply everything that is needed. So what is all this imagery, not just the river, but everything, you know, that we've been talking about, what does all this point to? 
Well, God had chosen the nation of Israel to be his covenant people. It falls back on the relationship of covenant that God made with his people. And God had chosen then within that covenant relationship, to, he had chosen to make his dwelling place the sort of focal point of his presence among his people. He had chosen the temple, the city of Jerusalem, to be that focal point. So that is why the verse says, the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. This was God's place. And now we come to the answer to where this boldness and the confidence comes from of declaring that we're not going to be afraid no matter what chaos comes. It comes from God's choice to dwell among his people. God's choice to be present among them, to be present with them. This is where the confident assertions come from. And then more of them come in verses 5, 6, and 7. And I'll just read those verses without any major comment. God is in the midst of her. He's in the midst of the city. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, perhaps uh, against themselves, but against God's people, perhaps, as well. He utters his voice. God utters his voice. And what happens in contrast to the raging of the nations? (coughs) The earth melts. The earth melts. Verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Brothers and sisters, please understand that God's presence makes all the difference. It is God's presence that we're talking about here. And Christmas is all about God's presence among us. John, in his gospel, said it, chapter 1, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelled among us. That verse could more literally be translated, and the word became flesh and pitched his tent among us. It is a deliberate allusion to the pitching of the tabernacle tent in the wilderness of God residing among his people and eventually then coming to reside permanently in the temple which is referred to here in Psalm 46. God pitching his tent among us. That's what Jesus Christ did. He is God pitching his tent among us. Matthew states the same thing once at the beginning of his gospel and then once at the very end, almost to bookend the importance of this. Chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. Matthew says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. At the very end of the chap, uh, the very end of the Gospel of Matthew, chapter twenty-eight, the very last verse 
of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says to his disciples, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. My brothers and sisters, church, we need to understand the importance of God's presence among us. Jesus came to establish his holy habitation among us. He lives and lived among us. We now have the very presence of God himself dwelling within us through the Holy Spirit. Yes, since Jesus returned to heaven, and he is now, as we speak, at the right hand of the Father interceding for us and simply waiting for the word from his heavenly Father, it's time to return and bring about your full and complete kingdom on earth. But as we are in the waiting period right now, before Jesus returns, the Lord does not promise us peace by taking us out of the world. The Lord promises us peace through his presence in the world, through his presence with us. He promises us peace and security by being present with us through it all. We live in a world of chaos. We live in a world of confusion. You and I could sit here for the next 10 hours and talk about the chaos and the confusion in the world. We live in a world of tumult and tragedy. It's in our relationships It's in our minds. It's in our hearts. It's in the governments of the world. And it's in the physical world around us. But God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. It is God's promised presence among us that can give that boldness to declare, we will not fear though everything disintegrates in utter, out-of-control confusion. So, that's the substance behind the boldness and the confidence that this psalm gives. Our God is with us. He has chosen to dwell among us and within us through his Spirit. True peace is found in the presence of the Almighty God. But that's not the full picture yet. As good and as great and true as all that is, this psalm will not let us rest right there yet. It won't let us rest with the fact that peace and security are the possession of God's people here and now. Because God's plan for peace is completely comprehensive. His plan for peace is all-encompassing. It includes all things in this universe. Now, how do we know this? Well, the rest of the psalm, the remaining part of the psalm, leads us there. These last few verses, verses 8 through 11, are addressed to the peoples of the world. 
First, it's the psalmist who addresses all the nations and all the peoples of the world, where he says in verse 8, Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. The writer gives this invitation to all the nations of the world. Come, behold, come and see, come and absorb God's plan, God's agenda. Come and see the peacemaking work of the Lord in the earth. It's, it's not just come and see with your eyes. It's more the idea of come and absorb it into your being, into your mind and heart, and join God. Submit to his authority. Become a part of his people. That's the invitation that's being issued by the psalmist here. It's interesting, though, especially as we, work, we look at the end of verse 8 and into verse 9, that God's peacemaking work among the nations of the world is not what we might expect. We might expect a gentle persuasion to come to my side. And of course, that is, there is a gentle invitation by Christ himself to join. But here in this psalm, it's not what we might expect. The peacemaking work of God in this psalm comes through judgment and even forcibly disarming the gear of war of the nations. The psalmist issues this invitation to the nations to come and see because he understands his role as a member of God's people. He understands the role of the nation of Israel as God's people. He understands that God chose his people of Israel and he chose to dwell among them so that they would be his channel of the message of peace to the world. Their role, their job was not simply to hunker down and celebrate. We're so happy. We're so good. We thank God because of all he's done for us. Yes, but it can't stop there. We have a message to tell to the world. And that's what the psalmist is doing. Come and see, he says. Come and absorb into your mind that God, this is God's agenda and plan. He will conquer everything that stands in opposition to him. So, you can either be among those who will be conquered, or you can join him and submit his, to him and be a part of his family. Then in verse 10... God himself speaks to the nations with the famous words, be still and know that I am God. One commentator uh, wrote about this verse that this is to be understood as a rebuke to a restless and turbulent world. Be still, raging nations, and know that I am God. It, can, it could literally be translated, let go, be quiet, I'm God, not you. If you want to be even more blunt, it could be, be still, be quiet, shut up, and sit down. 
because I am God. That's what he's saying here to the nations. Yes, we do take comfort in that verse personally, be still and know that I am God. It's not wrong to kind of use that for our own personal peace, but understand the proper context of that here. This is a rebuke to the world because they are in rebellion against him. There was a time when God incarnate, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, rose up out of a boat on the Sea of Galilee during a raging storm. And he spoke to the wind and he said, Peace, be still, be quiet. Probably an echo of Psalm 46. He spoke to the wind, the natural order, and immediately the wind obeyed him and quit. How much more power does God have over everything? Simply displayed in a relatively minor way in that instance through the word of God himself. Just as Israel's job was to be this channel of God's message to the people of the world, so our job as the church is the same thing. We are to be his channel of the peacemaking message of God to the world. But there will come a time of judgment and destruction upon the world as this psalm foreshadows in the imagery given here He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. And then God says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. It is not a suggestion of God. It is not a wishful thought on the part of God. It is a definite fact. I will be exalted among the nations of this world. It will happen. That's what he's saying. You can join me or you can face judgment. That's what this verse, these, these verses are all about. So, yes, we live in a period of, of mercy and grace right now where, where God is using his people, the church, to spread the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the invitation is issued to all who would hear and believe to come and have faith in Jesus Christ and join him. But that time will end, and there will be a time of judgment and destruction upon the world, on the other side of which will be the eternal peace that God brings Ultimately, then, his peace will come through judgment. We see this all through the Old Testament and even in, through the New Testament. I'll just read you one passage of Scripture from 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 11 to 13. Peter says, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth, the home of righteousness. 
or some translations put it, where righteousness dwells. God, at the end of the book of Revelation, says, now the dwelling place of God is with man. It is God's presence that brings us lasting, true peace. And that peace is not just for you and me individually. That peace is all-encompassing for the entire created order. It's going to happen, God says. And it began to happen in the coming of Jesus Christ. Where do we find God's peace? In his presence. Quite a few years ago, when we were living in the Philippines, we were invited one Christmas to Oral Bible College's preschool Christmas party. And I was invited to share a little message with the I don't know, 20 or 30 little preschoolers that that were there. And our whole family went. Our boys were quite young at the time. And they had what you have at a Christmas party, um, a message, food, uh, games, activities, all those kinds of things for kids. And when it came time for the games, one of my little boys whose name I will not reveal, so they won't be embarrassed. One of my little boys was very reluctant to join the games, did not want to be a part of that. So I looked at him, and I knelt down, and I reached out my hand, and I said, it's okay, give me your hand, we'll go together in there, and we'll have fun. And sure enough, he took my hand, And we went in and had a great time. Peace is looking at the hand that our Heavenly Father extends down to us and simply putting our hand in his firm grip. Not wanting to take us out of what's happening in the world, but knowing that he's bringing us through it all and that his presence is there with us. That's what lasting peace is all about. Please pray with me. Thank you for the peace that you bring, that you have brought, gracious Heavenly Father, in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. Oh, what joy we should have. We pray that you will fill our hearts with joy this season and for all eternity because you are with us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.